With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Tell he is back and he's one of our favorites good friend of ours eric garcia he's an ace reporter he covers congress and stuff but he's also got a great book out uh we are not broken about autism if you haven't read it yet go find it it's excellent he did a long form podcast with us right here on her tell go back and listen to that one of the best ones we've ever done in the top three listen to podcasts we have ever done eric how are you today my friend doing all right how you doing my friend I always enjoy talking to you. We're going to talk Congress and politics and your day job here in just a little bit. But I want to start on uh, this disability thing for a second because we had a viral video go around. You commented it on Twitter. I commented on it on Twitter. Um, This young lady, Elizabeth Bonker, um, who was the valedictorian of her class, she got to give the speech. The thing is, with her particular uh, disability set, She's nonverbal or limited verbal. I'll let you set up the story here because the way it kind of went viral and it was a feel good story and the vast majority of people treated it that way. And, but there was an element. So I want you to set this up for what this young lady did and what it meant for her to give a valedictorian speech in the first place. Yeah. So it looks like this young lady, her name is Elizabeth Bonker. She graduated valedictorian. She's a non-speaking autistic uh, woman. And um, she apparently you know, had trouble autism is a, is a communication disorder and a lot of autistic people, uh, you know, can't speak. And apparently she was able to do this because she had a communication device. But the thing that stood out to me was she talked about was, I think that it was framed as a feel good story as, wow, look at this autistic person who graduated college. And that's amazing. And I'm not taking away from that is amazing. But like, when I think about it, I'm like, why, why do we think that's amazing? Well, it's because we don't think that autistic people can go to college. And she specifically said it was because she had the help of a support worker who, or a support person who, you know, and offered this service for typing devices. Unfortunately, a lot of autistic people don't get those devices and don't get those tools. So I think that is one of the other things. And I think the, the other thing that stood out to me was uh, Ms. Bonker mentioned that uh, her principal said that R word uh, couldn't be valedictorian. And I think that it was framed as a way of, oh, wow, she overcame being this. But I, I remember being really kind of disturbed by that. I was like, this person, her, her principal said that? Uh, excuse me? Um, so, 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 I mean, I, I think that it was, I, I don't, I, I, I don't want to come off as being, as, as taking away from her. She obviously accomplished an amazing thing. But I think what I would, what it ended up feeling was like, I think that autistic people I know who shared it, shared it for very different reasons than the general public. A lot of people on Twitter was like, I'm not crying, you're crying, or this is so inspirational, things like that. And I I was, the coverage felt almost lacking. That's not to say some uh, NPR did a great example of like what the program she was doing and what she wants to do and what she wants to, you know, but, but a lot of it just felt like, 
uh, filler kind of non-substantive. And that really kind of, I really didn't like the way that it was framed. Yeah, we talked about this when we covered your book on Hertel. And folks need to go back and listen to that conversation. I'm really Thank proud you. of it. It was fantastic. But when you did your book, you talked to some of these families and these people that do this. I just don't think we've really set in how much technology opens doors like this for it. And it may, it stops where, you know, before like my mom's generation, she was a special ed teacher. It was all on the special ed teachers and the care providers to do this. You don't have to have any special training to get these people technology things that can do a lot of the lifting for you and really open up their world. Can't you? You do not need as much training or you don't, you don't need to necessarily be a specialist uh, it opens plenty of doors, but like when I tweeted this out, you know, like I got some responses about like how this is amazing. This is something that like is, is going to change kids' lives or, or, or autistic adults' lives. I was just talking uh, one young gentleman who everybody needs to know about. His name is Hari Srinivasan. This weekend, he just graduated from Cal. I interviewed him for my book. Uh, he is not speaking same deal. He, you know, for a long time, people didn't assume anything from him or didn't expect anything from him. He just graduated from Cal. He's now on the federal government's advisory committee uh, uh, for autism. Uh, unbelievably brilliant, unbelievably talented. And uh, he's a poet, he's a writer. Uh, and it, it was just that small thing of like this piece of technology and this service open countless doors for him and I did I did another uh I did another event in the Bay Area of California with another young man uh I believe his name is Benjamin Bro who uh who who was not speaking and he does videos uh where, where he's not speaking so these these tools can do tons of things it's just a matter of how available they are and how much, uh, you, you know, how much funding it is, because it still is, it's, you know, there's there's scarce resources. So like the technology exists now, it's a matter of putting it in as many people's hands as possible. You use the term, and I've used it before in my writing, inspiration porn. Uh, this, this dovetails with other kind of porn that I've used, like poverty tourism porn that we have yeah. in my beloved West Virginia. We have a tendency to drive by these stories, and you mentioned it, it's an inspirational story. People do that, I'm not crying, you're not crying. That's all well and good. I think where this gets important, though, is taking that next step of going, and you brought it up when you did your little tweet thread about this, of, okay, but let's talk about the practical parts that made this work, because that's where this stuff really starts changing, and then this shouldn't be abnormal, this should be a normal thing, because these people should have this ability and these resources all along. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, you, you know, cause like, I mean, I think when I went when I, to your point, when I went to West Virginia, even for my book and about, about poverty porn, I was really adamant about not being uh, condescending toward West Virginia. And I think it's because I'm, a, I'm a person with a disability and I've seen like when people kind of commodify it. And I should say the term inspiration porn was created by the late Stella Young. Uh, one of the, um, who passed away a long time ago. She was a, she was a disability rights activist. And I think that the thing about it, you know, the term inspiration porn or poverty porn is that it's not meant for the person who the, who's the subject of it. It's meant for the consumer to consume either to say, oh, look at these poor, these poor people in West Virginia, or look at this poor disabled person who is so inspiring. And I think my, my whenever I, you know, cause a lot of people, um, because like the word inspiration is really strange, isn't it? Because like a lot of autistic people have told me after I wrote my book, 
you know, you've inspired me. And I'm like, great, I'm, I'm really happy that I'm able to provide that example. But like, I think what a lot of people say to me who aren't autistic or who aren't disabled, I was like, you're so inspiring. I'm like, okay, I inspired you to do what, you know? What do you, did, did I inspire you to just deal with your daily lives or did I inspire you to change things or did I inspire you to look at autistic people differently? Did I inspire you to make things better for autistic or disabled people? What did I inspire you to do? So inspiration is nice, but like, you know, I think about it, it's like inspire, it's like put in breath, like you, you breathe in life into something that's literally like the roots of the word. So like, I think about it, it's like, okay, what did I breathe in life for you to do, you know? Talking to Eric Garcia, our good friend, great reporter. The book he wrote on autism is We Are Not Broken. It's fantastic. You can find it anywhere. Just Google it. It'll pop right up. Um, let's do a little bit of nomenclature while we're on the subject, though. We're seeing the word more and more ableism. Uh, both yes. in reporting, people are pushing back on it a little bit, but you're the expert on this stuff. Define that word so that it's properly used, because I've seen it used both ways, where it's used as a real good tool to kind of dig into stuff. I've also seen that term abused quite a bit, especially online yeah. and social media. Define that word and how we should and shouldn't be using it, if you would, please. Yeah. So I, you know, I am, you know, I do a lot of work on this, but like I, I, I borrow from what, so like I, I'm not, you know, this is from what other people have said. Ableism to me and from what a lot of other people have said is any type of barrier that prevents a person with a disability from living life in a way that any person without a disability could. So this could be anything from uh, the lack of an elevator in a, um, in a, you know, in a hotel building, or it could be uh, the lack of accommodations in a school, uh, you, you know, the lack of disability, of enough disability services in a school. It could be uh, a, uh, a television show using the R word or depict using a kind of demeaning depiction of a person with a disability. Ableism is, uh, is basically anything that perpetuates the barriers that uh, people with disabilities have. So that is a very, very broad statement. And I keep it intentionally broad because there's a lot of people who argue different things who are smarter than me. I'm still learning about it. But I think that's what I, that, that to me is as broad of a term as possible, I think. Yeah. Eric Garcia joining us. Let's talk about something that is very pertinent to current events when it comes to disability rights. Uh, voting is underway right now. One yes. thing that came out of the COVID moves to change voting laws that was kind of unintentional was it actually opened up a lot of disability type stuff for voters because it expanded yes. how people voted. I, I will admit, I never really thought about this this much until 2016. I got out of the hospital right before the election. I went to vote. It was actually the first time I'd really been out of the house after being in the hospital for multiple months. I had to use the ADA station because I couldn't stand up. I still had tubes in me. I had the backpack with the pumps and all that. And the poll worker didn't really know what to do with me because they weren't well. And I don't want to bang on them. They just weren't well trained. It, you know, if I, right. I'm like, look, it's surgically attached. No, I can't put my bag down. This kind of thing is like I had to sit down to vote. It changed my perspective totally. You've talked about it before. This is going to be the first election after a lot of those COVID restrictions. But there was a lot of disability positive things that came out of that that we need to apply to elections, isn't there? 
Yes. So the interesting thing, a lot of people didn't know that I didn't know until uh, until reports came out. And I believe there was I, I have the report in front of me that uh, disability turnout increased six percentage points to 62 percent in 2020. Now, this isn't to say that uh, there weren't barriers. I think of the late, uh, she just passed away, Cheryl Grossman, who was a disability rights activist not too far from here in Maryland. Uh, you know, for example, because people with chronic illnesses couldn't go out, they had to post their ballot on the door and that might've compromised, you know, the secrecy of the ballot. But for a lot of people with disability, mail-in ballots uh, or drop boxes, uh, opened up, uh, literally opened up doors and barriers that otherwise did not exist. Incidentally enough, there was, uh, I, I was, uh, I know a few people with disabilities who orchestrated during the Georgia runoffs, orchestrated drives for, like, like literally driving people with disabilities with mobility impairments to go drop off their, their ballots and drop boxes. So that was one of those things that in a weird way, Innate, while COVID, COVID was such a, it was it was such a double-edged sword for so many people with disabilities because on one end you had students with disabilities not being able to get their uh, their services through their IEPs. At the same time, a lot of college students with disabilities were able to, their, their their classrooms became much more accessible. On one end, it was you know a lot of people in congregate care settings died, uh, and the or, or with or a lot of people with you know comorbidities died before the vaccine came out. On the other, it was, uh, you, you know, you had an increase in, uh, in disability voting turnout. So it was, so, so you know, it, it was such a, it was such a difficult time for a lot of people with disabilities, you know, as a whole, and the pandemic still is. But that was one of the most fascinating things was you saw this uh, incredible, a show of force for voters with disabilities when typically, as you said before, there are no, there, you know, a lot of uh, poll stations still aren't as ADA, ADA accessible. Uh, a good friend of ours, somebody you and I both follow, Grace Panetta, she's noted that a lot of Native American polling stations uh, don't, aren't necessarily uh, ADA accessible. It's not because of uh, any kind of malice or anything like that, but it's just because they don't, Native American communities often don't have the resources. So this is a real thing. Yeah, and getting to experience to my own shame, I'll put my hand up and wear that hat. Uh, I should have thought of it ahead of time, but when you experience it, you notice yeah. it really, really like I can't stand here for five minutes and read this ballot. I gotta, I, I gotta sit down and just yeah, little exactly. stuff like that. And mine was medical, so it was temporary, but still, uh, something to keep your mind on. Make sure you're checking on your friend. This is a good point to do a public service announcement too. If you have friends and family members with disabilities. Go with them to vote. They may need a little bit of help. That is allowed yes. under the laws. Uh, make sure you do that. Eric Garcia joining us. We're going to take a quick break on Hertel. We come back. Going to make him put his day job hat back on, talk a little Congress, uh, talk about what our Congress critters are up to, midterm elections, all that good stuff. The great Eric Garcia, our good friend. More Hertel with him right after this. I drop bombs here. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. Eric Garcia, ace reporter. He writes for The Independent. He contributes all over the place. Uh, we've talked about his uh, passion before. Now we're going to talk about his day job. He covers Congress. Just turn down the noise force for a second. We know it's a midterm election. We know we got some really big stuff going on, abortion, Ukraine. Uh, now we're going to probably do a gun debate again because of the, the mass shooting in Buffalo. What's the feeling in Congress about how the midterms are going? Because those folks don't lie. Uh, they're the ones with the skin in the game. We're hearing a lot of talk about front benchers, back benchers, uh, different factions. What, what's the mood in the halls of Congress right now? So I think right now, so last week there was the vote on, um, there was the vote on uh, the Women's Health Protection Act, which was Democrats legislation on Roe v. Wade. Uh, basically, they said to codify it. Republicans said it went too far and they said it went beyond Roe. Uh, uh, Senator Susan Collins and Senator Lisa Murkowski said it, you know, they just wanted the strict, straight protections for Roe. So, but what's funny about it is that there was almost this feeling of this was a meaningless vote. Not a lot of senators were sitting in their desks during the vote. You know, people were filing in and out. You, you, you didn't get the feeling that this was very high stakes. And I think that for a lot of, I think, I think for that reason, there was almost kind of this feeling. I asked Senator Gary Peters, I was like, do you think this, uh, will this have any kind of effect? I said, the only Senator who you guys really want to get on, on record is Ron Johnson because he's, because the other states, he's Senator Richard Burr's retiring, Senator uh, Pat Toomey's retiring. Those are the only two real flippable seats. And he says, we're going to find out. So there was almost kind of this feeling of, eh, you know, like, this, this this has no Republicans kind of well, that's Democrats and then Democrats were kind of like we know that we we know that this isn't going to pass we know there's no chance of it passing and that was even before Joe Manchin uh, came out against it so it didn't even need a filibuster because it was 40, 51 49 uh, so 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 there was that I think the other thing that everybody's focusing on right now is there is you know talk about passing the Ukraine aid it passed. Uh, overwhelmingly uh, on the House side, it was going to pass on uh, last week, uh, I think on Thursday or, fr uh, Thursday or Friday, then Rand Paul blocked it. Uh, it's a $40 billion package to Ukraine. And he just wanted, uh, he wanted to add like some new parts right on the floor. He did not even in committee. But I think there's this feeling in the midterm. I think Democrats recognize, okay, we might lose the House. It looks pretty clear that we might so we're going to just focus on doing what we want, you know, passing stuff we want to do. Right now, of course, they have to focus on the, uh, right now they're already doing legislation on the baby formula shortage. I don't know how, if even if the legislation were to pass, if it would go through the Senate, because uh, there's talk about, you know, importing, uh, increasing imports from uh, from Latin America countries. But again, it feels like a lot, the thing of it is, is that you're starting to see people go from Governing mode to campaign mode, you're going to see that a lot in the coming months as primaries roll around. Uh, tomorrow is the beginning. Uh, tomorrow, North Carolina and Pennsylvania have their primaries uh, with, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
Uh, North Carolina's most famous freshman, Madison Cawthorn, is up in a tough primary. Uh, so, so right now, I think there's kind of this feeling of go, doing the stuff they need to do, which is pass Ukraine aid. They already passed the omnibus spending bill. They're trying to pass a COVID relief package. And there's kind of just this feeling of we need to pass stuff to at least show our voters we're trying to do something, but it's not really going to get done. You're going to see that you see the same thing with gun stuff. They're probably going to have a vote on the gun stuff, uh, 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 one kind of vote on guns but they know it's not going to pass with a 50, 50 Senate. So. so lots of failure theater is what you're telling me here. Uh, failure, that's a good, that's a good line. Failure theater. It's it's, and, and one of the things that I think is that a lot of Democrats are saying, we want to at least show that we're trying. And I don't know how much that motivates democratic voters, because if you're a democratic voter and you see both houses, you have both houses of Congress and the white house, you're kind of looking at like, uh, well, what in the Dickens is going on? Uh, I thought that, you know, we had a majority, but obviously there's the filibuster. Obviously you have people like Joe Manchin and just cinema and even some moderates like Chris Coons and others, but like, there's almost this feeling of what gives. Meanwhile, Republican turnout is already going to be high because it's a midterm. It's just a matter of, is it going to, you know, so, so I'm not convinced that it's going to uh, juice up democratic turnout, at least for now, at least what polling says for now. Yeah, uh, Eric Garcia, he's the congressional beat cover for the Independent, along with a lot of other places he writes. Uh, you just mentioned North Carolina. One of those senators a lot of people may not even think of or talk about. Turns out he's been driving a whole lot of the news cycle the last few weeks. You mentioned Madison Cawthorn. Uh, did you know Tom Tillis was this much of a killer? I knew he was a killer back when, because so I got my start covering uh, covering news back in, uh, back when I was a student at the University of North Carolina uh, and covering the General Assembly, like because I took a class where you had to cover the General Assembly because it wasn't too far away. Uh, and I kind of knew that Tom Tillis was a killer because he was, back in 2010, he was the one who raised all the money for, and recruited all those candidates who helped Repo North Carolina Republicans take back both houses of the legislature for like the first time since 1898 and helped them win a trifecta when McCrory won, who he's, he's known for a while uh, in, in 2012. He is often, uh, you know, he has his, you know, politically he's very vulnerable. His, his negatives have always been very high. Uh, even when, when he ran against Hagan, obviously that was a blood feud. And then even when he lost to Cal Cunningham, uh, his negative, he, he, you know, people's attitudes about Tom Tillis never really changed. But he, but he's, you know, he's a silent killer. And when he wants to be, when he wants to be ruthless, he can be ruthless. Uh, I've said in the past, he should be NRS. If Republicans were smart, they'd make him NRSC chairman because he knows how to win the suburban areas in North Carolina. Uh, that's obviously a big place where Republicans are lacking right now. He's obviously a lot more astute. Uh, he comes from a suburban area, Cornelius, which is a suburb of Charlotte. Um, and, and yeah, like it doesn't surprise me that he's decided to go nuclear on uh, on Madison Cawthorn. And I have a piece that came, just came out this morning where I talk a little bit more about why he want why he decided to go in on Cawthorn. And just to be clear here, I think Cawthorn deserves every bit of this because he shouldn't have been in there in the first place. But it's pretty clear that I, I think it's somewhat organic. But whoever called the code red down on Madison Cawthorn, I think a lot of those roads go to Tom Tillis and his network. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I think that one of the things that happened was, if you remember, uh, he tried switching districts uh, and 
uh, when they did when North Carolina did redistricting, and then Speaker there was a district that Speaker Tim Moore, who was Tillis' successor, was going to try to uh, fill, and Cawthorn called him a go along to get along guy, which is weird because as long as I've known Tim Moore, he's he may not be MAGA, but he's conservative. He was the guy behind the bathroom. He's not he's shy just, and subtle, and you don't have to go looking for him when you cover North Carolina state politics. No, he, he's he's very conservative. So when Cawthorn called him a go-along to get along, I was like, excuse me? <laughs> this this guy's conservative. Um, but but I think that that was, that was the beginning. And, of course, he that was a Charlotte dist- area district. And Tillis was like, okay, you tried to encroach on my home turf. And you're trying to undo this uh, machine that I've built. And credit to Tillis and to Art Pope and Phil Berger and to a lesser extent, Pat McCrory, that we kind of more rode the wave than he actually did anything to, to facilitate the win. Uh, they are responsible for build, making North Carolina, turning it from a purple state to a pinkish state. And to, to almost, I'd argue, a red state in the next few years. Uh, so, so I think that Tillis was kind of like, okay, you get, you, okay, you, okay, tough guy, you, you, you know, you, you want to do this? Okay, we're gonna, you know, you mentioned uh, yesterday on Twitter, you mentioned the the Al Pacino, Glenn Gary, Glenn uh, Glenn Ross uh, monologue. He's like, how dare you speak amongst men, you child? Yeah, he uh, Madison's getting a lecture in how politics actually work by people who are masters at making the machinery go. Uh, yes. And by the way, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. May he be gone from our politics forever. I hope he gets some help for himself. He's clearly not yeah. all there. Uh, let, let's talk about something else real quick. We're going to do a lot of banging on the Democrats in this midterm just because historically, yeah. cyclically, they're going to have a rough year. They're going to have a rough I year. I still think, though, just in the interest of being a little fair here, just because they win ain't going to solve all their problems. I think the Republicans are going to have a mess on their hands come January when leadership posts come up. What's the feeling? Because Kevin McCarthy, it keeps bubbling up and bubbling up and bubble. He does not. Ha- he may have the votes, but he doesn't have the confidence of this caucus, does he? Well, you just look last week with the vote on Ukraine aid. Fifty seven Republicans voted against Ukraine aid. A lot of it was the usual suspects. Um but like, incidentally enough, somebody you know, Virginia Representative Virginia Fox, who's a longtime Republican legislator from North Carolina, before the vote, I asked, I was like, how are you going to vote on this? And she eventually voted yes, but she says, I know when it will actually vote, when, when the vote will actually come. And that to me, uh, you know, Representative Rodney Davis also later voted for it. I caught him in the hallways drinking a can of beer as he was leaving Scalise's office. Um <laughs> which shows you how seriously they take it. Uh, he was just like, I'll let you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll figure out how I vote when it comes. There's definitely this feeling that McCarthy doesn't have the support of the base or the support of the, the most conservative voices. And I should say this was before um, the, the Jonathan Martin, Alex Burns book and the audio that was leaked about him saying, you know, Trump should resign or I'm going to tell him to resign. There was always this feeling that he's not. There was always this feeling that he wasn't the closer to use an NBA analogy because it's the NBA. You know, he's not going to be the guy who you need in game seven. Um, he's more like James Harden on the Philadelphia 76ers now. Uh, and, I, and I say that with every, you know, subtlety and connotation that you can imagine. Uh, so so there, there's just this feeling that he's not the guy. 
He's not going to be the person who can facilitate things. He's not the guy who can uh, put up and mount a strong opposition to the Biden administration. He's not going to be seen as somebody who could partner with Mitch McConnell or if by some miracle Democrats hold on to the Senate, Chuck Schumer. Uh, he's not seen as the guy you to borrow from another uh, Aaron Sorkin, to borrow from an Aaron Sorkin movie. He's not a guy you, you want on that wall, so to speak. Okay, and that's all well and good. I agree with everything you just said. Um, Walter Jones, where are you when you need you? Y'all go, y'all go Google that one. The last time Kevin McCarthy came up, they had to go get Paul Ryan uh, and offer him the planet. And yeah. that was a Walter Jones production. We'll talk about that some other time. But that's all well and good. You got to have somebody that can beat him in the election, though. Is there anybody that's going to beat him in a con? caucus election for the speakership you know there, there are definitely some people i've thought about you know i think representative jim banks uh who's chairman of the republican study committee uh he is somebody who who has it i think uh, i think representative steve scalise a lot of people in the conference like him uh, obviously he was shot during uh during a congressional baseball practice um uh, by some guy who like Said he was a Bernie Sanders supporter, and then Bernie denounced him on the floor. But so, 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 uh, but he he was paralyzed for a little bit, I believe, and he had to use a walker. Now he can walk. But uh, Scalise is somebody who a lot of people in the conference like. Uh, the you, you know, there, there's always talk about somebody like Jim Jordan doing it. I don't think Jordan would actually want to lead the conference because uh, <laughs> that'd mean he'd actually have to work, um, and he couldn't just you know puff his chest out. So. The but the, the question is th this is the ultimate problem with any of the um, people who move up uh, in Republican leadership because John Boehner started out his career as a bomb thrower in Congress uh, and ended up by the end of it being uh, of course being education health committee chair uh, education committee chairman and did No Child Left Behind with Ted Kennedy he was seen as a heretic and he was ultimately booted out Paul Ryan started out as kind of a hellraiser with Mike Pence coming up and they were they they got elected around the same time. They, then eventually he was seen as insufficiently conservative. The difficulty for any um, Republican leader, and it's different a little bit for the Democrats, is that eventually you would, by virtue of having to govern and by virtue of having a Democratic president, you're going to be seen as insufficiently conservative. You're going to be seen as insufficient. You're going to be seen as a rhino. You're going to be seen as any of those things. And eventually people are going to get mad at you. And that's what led to John Boehner getting booted and Paul Ryan eventually saying forget this, I quit. Um, that's going to be that. So, so the, the question about who would fit that mold, it's difficult to say, because even if that, even if, you know, and it looks like it would be a guy, uh, it might be, you know, some people talk about Elise Stefanik, but I don't think she has the votes yet. Uh, you, you know, but any guy or, or girl who gets to that point, eventually be, by virtue of being in leadership, you're going to be seen as a rhino. So I don't know if anybody else could mount that kind of challenge. I think the best person, honestly, I think is Jim Banks, who's chairman of the, of the study committee. But that's just me. Yeah. And uh, keep an eye on Elise Stefanik because she didn't sell her soul just to be on the third post in the Republican. No, she she's didn't. got ambitions. Uh, but that's another story for another day. And that's also, by the way, why she's getting all the attack and flack with the New York thing, too. People want to knock, go ahead and knock her down now. A lot of machinations. Our friend Eric Garcia, he does great reporting work. He writes at The Independent. He also contributes to other places like MSNBC and all over. Um, but before you pump all those things, make sure you tell everybody where you can get the book. We started out talking about autism sure. and spectrum and disabilities because it's such a great book. I've read it. I've had you on before about it. 
Uh, tell folks when they have found the book and then tell them about your social media and the political stuff. The page. Sure thing. Uh, we're not broken. Changing the autism conversation. It's out of bookstores. Now we got the paperback coming out August 2nd. Uh, you can pre-order those now. Uh, uh, the first people who post the, and I'll, we'll, I'll just do it. Let's just do a little giveaway. Why don't we? Uh, the first, uh, the first 50 people, the first, uh, yeah, 50 people who post a link uh, of this of this podcast uh, and a pre-order of the book will get a signed nameplate from me. Just DM me and we'll do that. You can follow me on social media at Eric M. Garcia. You can follow on, to- on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram at Eric M. Garcia 14. Uh, yeah, and I always love coming on here. I always love talking with Andrew. So Yeah, let's just go ahead and pencil it in, man. That paperback comes out. We'll have you on and we'll talk exclusively about the book because I want to update some of those stories. We've actually become Twitter buddies with a few of those folks, which is just too cool in my book. So you can update the stories on some of those families because those were amazing people that made the book. Those were absolutely they're amazing people. I still talk with a lot of them. Yeah, let's let's plan on doing it. Uh, Eric Garcia, one of our favorites. Appreciate your work, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.